Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the ones in need. For every thirst and every hunger, you are everything. Blessed are the worn and weary, blessed are the ones who grieve. In every moment unexpected, you are everything. To seek you is to find you, and to know you is to want you. And I want nothing more than you. To see you is to love you, and I can't believe I get to. And I want nothing more than you. Blessed is the way of peace. I will, I will trust, trust your heart and head. You are everything. Yes, I will trust your heart and head. You are everything. To see you is to find you, and to know you is to want you. And I want nothing more than you. See you is to love you, and I can't believe I get to, and I want nothing more than you. everyone welcome to worship at fusion this morning we're so glad that you joined us here in person as well as online this morning 
And at this time, I invite you to stand and greet one another with the peace of Christ. We wait in hope for the Lord. We wait in hope for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Amen. The reign of darkness now has ended In the kingdom of light In the kingdom of light Forever Forever unto your dominion You're the king of my life You're the king of my life You reign You reign above it all Reign above it all Over the universe and over every heart There is no higher name Jesus, you reign above it all On the cross the work was finished God, you poured out your life just to give us new life Now from the lips of the forgiven Hear an anthem arise Cause Jesus you're alive oh, oh. You reign above it all You reign above it all Over the universe and over every heart no higher name Jesus you reign above it all let all of heaven and the earth erupt in song sing hallelujah to the everlasting one there is no higher name Jesus you reign above it all Yes, you reign above it all. You sent the darkness running out of an empty grave. Now sealed alone in glory, enthroned on the highest praise. You sent the darkness running out of an empty grave. Now seated alone in glory, enthroned on the highest praise. You sent the darkness running out of an empty grave. Now seated alone in glory, enthroned on the highest praise. You reign above it all, you reign above it all. And over every heart There is no higher name Jesus, you reign 
reign above it all. Let all of heaven and the earth erupt in song. Sing hallelujah to the everlasting one. There is no higher name. Jesus, you reign above it all. Good morning, Fusion. 
Many of you see a familiar face standing next to me. Good morning, and, church. Uh, someone who doesn't need, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I was going to say someone who doesn't need introduction, but for those of you who are maybe newer to our community, uh, this is Luke Carrick, and he's a missionary partner in Ireland, and why don't you share a little bit about, and we just met. Yes. Today. Yeah. Physically. Yeah. We met digital, is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that how you'd say it? We've made digital acquaintance. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Uh, But this is our first time, and uh, it's a pleasure to have you here, obviously, well, I'm going to quit talking. This is the danger of having me up oh, here. Oh, yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah, I'm going to let you go. And the fact that it's our first time meeting. And, yeah, you know, now it's that <coughs> but if awkward first meeting. You if know? you want to chime in with a question to help enhance this conversation, go. please do. Um, so, yeah, so my name is Luke, and I served as the interim uh, fusion preaching pastor uh, for 2019 to 2020. Uh, and it was a wonderful year. And it was great to get to know so many of you and to serve alongside you. And with the help of this community, uh, I discerned uh, a call to Ireland. And in fact, there was a a, a, a delegates (laughs) who went from uh, this church with me to Ireland and prayed with me and went to the community and helped me sort of discern if I was to stick around in West Michigan or if I was to go to Ireland. And it was the beginning uh, of us going to Ireland, but also the beginning of a partnership uh, with this community and with Hardwick. And it's just been so rich. I was just telling the guys in celebration that to have uh, the support uh, in, the, in COVID times, in bringing your family to an, a country that they don't know and, and haven't lived in, uh, to have the support of a community like this to call and to say, hey, we're going through this, or hey, we need this, and for you guys to be ready and willing to support us, it's just been uh, a real gift, and so thank you. Um, but I went to Ireland to pastor uh, my home church, and some of you know this, most missionaries go to New Frontiers, I went to my hometown. Most missionaries go to plant new churches. I went to my home church. It's been there <laughs> for 40 years. Um, and there was 12 people meeting on Facebook uh, when I got there uh, because COVID had closed it down and we didn't have a pastor and we needed some help. And so I've been there and it hasn't been extraordinary. You know, we haven't had a revival. We haven't had, you know, 300 souls come to know Jesus. It's been quite ordinary, just an ordinary community of faith praying together, doing fellowship together, opening up God's word together, leaning on the fruits and the gifts of the spirit together. And, uh, and we've grown to about 60 people. So we have, we've grown as a community now, but we've grown probably in, in depth more so than, than wide. Um, and it's been, it's been a rich time. That's beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful. Here's, here's a question that's not on our list. All right. This is where I get in trouble because I start ad-libbing. Um, Kelsey, yes. your wife, yes. she's from West Michigan, right? Yes. So my question is, has she begun to speak with such a beautiful accent? Oh, I could I, listen to you talk. Has she started to have like a little Irish? Uh, she's always, yeah. So she studied in Ireland a few okay. years ago. And so she, she, and being around me, I think she picks up a bit yeah, of the, yeah. the lilt, tilt, lilt. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, both. But it, it I don't actually, know if that's bad form to ask about accents. No, 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 it's see, fine. Here I am. This is the danger. Yeah, uh, is this, yeah, is it piece politically correct to yeah, ask about accent? I don't know. I don't know. I'm offended. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> Because my wife yeah. from California moved to Michigan, okay, and she's starting to pick okay. up our Michigan accent. So One I, of the things that, that works in my favor, though, <laughs> is when I came here, you know, everyone likes the Irish accent thing. That's great, whatever. Yeah. But when I went back to Ireland, I had a bit of an American twang. And so some of the words I'd use, like garbage and parking lot <laughs> and y'all, uh, 
suddenly I could get away with it. Yeah. And so, you know, I could get away with saying the, the American things in Ireland and I get to say the Irish things in America and it works both ways. It's so great. we go to Ireland and people are like, wow, you sound so beautiful I, or is it not quite... Uh, Maybe not. No, okay. yeah, <laughs> it, it depends. It depends. Uh, I used to have a professor uh, at the seminary who said that my accent was going to get me an extra 10 grand on my paycheck at a church. Can I ask Has, you? It hasn't been oh, true. Okay, no, no, okay, no. Okay. Just, no. Everyone De- was thinking that. Definitely yeah. not in Ireland. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Wisconsin <laughs> accent hasn't gotten me anything. I don't think. Well, anyway, on a more serious level, you shared a little bit about yeah. the ministry in Ireland. Mm. Um, how, can, how can we continue to partner, yeah. you, partner yeah. with you and support you uh, yeah. as you guys continue your ministry? Yeah, well, you mentioned my wife, and I've, we have three kids now. We left with two, we have three now. Uh, but it's, it's hard, uh, you know, immersing in a new culture. Uh, for my family has has been difficult, and so continued prayers. Uh, I think the sociologists say it takes about seven years to fully acclimate to a new wow. environment, and we're we're sort of feeling that. Uh, sometimes we, you know, we step out the front door and we don't know what we're going to meet within the culture that's going to sort of make us feel embarrassed or that we don't know yet or not feel immersed. And so the anxiety of that is actually pretty heavy in our household. So pray for us mm-hmm. as we try to make meaningful connections and just feel connected in in the town. Obviously, um, you know. We are our missionaries in Ireland, and so support, prayer support, financial support. We have a new, I, I brought these things, actually, that I can, excuse me uh, for a second, uh, JB. It's all good. So I have these things. Um, we have a, a falling down building <laughs> on a, on a, a 0.75 of an acre site in, in Greystones and in Wicklow, and we want to improve that space. And so we are... Over, we have a campaign. I said when I became a pastor of a church that I would never build a church. <laughs> and here I am with the responsibility of helping to build a building project. And so if you want to learn more about what we're doing to make our site a more of a community resource mm. uh, and both a ministry resource, uh, I can share more about that. Uh, but we are, are building our a new facility. Beautiful. Uh, we and there's a team that. going. Yes, there's a team coming in October. Uh, for the first week in October, there's a team. In fact, I've got to meet them at uh, five past 11, so I'm not jumping out on your sermon. Uh, That's okay. But that team That's is okay. meeting over there, and I'll be back, and, and I'll say, hey. Beautiful. But uh, yeah, we, we're going to hopefully have teams come over the next few years uh, for a whole different uh, plethora of, of reasons uh, to learn, to grow, to be a part of this. Um, so if you're interested in coming to Ireland, you know where we are. Mission trip to Ireland sounds, to sounds Ireland. pretty good. Yeah. Well, before you head back, uh, why don't we all kind of extend a hand, and I'm going to just pray Thank over you, you and, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll continue with our service. But. Lord God, we, we thank you for Luke, for Kelsey, for their family. We thank you, Lord, for their love for you. Lord, we thank you for their answering a call that you placed in their lives uh, to serve your people in Ireland. Lord, we thank you that your church is a global church. And Lord, that we are one body, though separated by many miles, we are united by the Spirit of God. We pray for their work, we pray for their ministry, we pray for a building project, but Lord, we also pray for them, for their souls, for their hearts as they adjust, as they acclimate. Lord, may you continue to draw them close to you and close to one another, that their household would be a source of of strength an ascending place that you would continue to build your kingdom uh, in, in Ireland, here in Holland, as it is in heaven. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior, and God's people say together, amen, amen. I'm gonna invite Andrew.
All right, good morning, everyone. Thanks, Luke and JB. Good stuff. We're going to bless the children now. And so pre-K through kindergarten, come on over by the doors to third grade. What did I say? I got that wrong. Yeah, I'm not. Okay, pre-K through third grade. Come on over, kids. And we all know our lines by now. We're just going to bless them, that the Lord would teach them, encourage them, bless them through what happens this morning in their worship time and their teaching time. All right. The words are up on the screen. Let's say together, the Lord be with you. Indeed. Thank you for that blessing. All right. Have a great morning. You know, we say that, they're, that we're blessing them, but every time I hear that, it's like we're getting it right back at us. That's uh, good stuff. All right. Well, let's pray together. I have one announcement first. Let me get that out of the way. There's a, a note around women's ministries, and uh, there's the Thrifting and Tablescapes Women's Ministry event coming up on August 4th. 7 to 9 p.m. at D. Stahl's house. There's more info on the website, on the Women's Ministry page. I invite you to check that out. All right. We are, well, we're beginning in our message series around Job, right? And there's a, there are a couple of proverbs that uh, were on the website, kind of preamble to what we're doing today. And, and I thought of Psalm 139 in relation to all that. And those first 12 verses of Psalm 139. So let's use that as we come in prayer today. All right, join me. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Lord, we just breathe into the words of the psalmist there and it becomes our prayer. We just acknowledge that you are our God, our Lord, our Redeemer, our friend, and you invite us to follow you. You know us completely. We know these things and can celebrate and praise your name because we know these things when life is going really well. And then we seem to know it even more deeply when things are not going so well. And we might even wonder, I'm feeling in a dark place. Where are you, Lord? 
We may even be wanting to be distant from you, thinking that we might be out of your sight, but you just convict us and convince us again and again that you are present. And so our prayer, even in this uh, time, this time of worship, is that you will enable us to experience your presence in new ways, deeper ways. So this morning, uh, we, we just pray that you will bless and um, encourage Pastor JB as he brings the word to us and just open our hearts for whatever you have for us today. We pray as a church here in West Michigan for, for Luke and Kelsey and their kids and for the ministry that they are embracing and engaging in. In Ireland, we're thankful, Lord, for the relationship that's there, and we pray that you will bless them. Give them what Luke is seeking for himself and his family, that they'll experience a true connection in their community. And enable them, Lord, to develop those relationships of real significance in their community, and may your word go out through them, and may your church grow grow even more deeply than he's experiencing now, but also grow broadly. And may their ministry be effective and the gospel go out. Thank you for them. Encourage them and bless Ireland through them, we pray. We pray for our ministry staff here, for, for JB, for Pastor Bill, for Aaron, for Darwin. And we pray in many ways the same prayer that you will enable them to experience real connection here, but they will lead us in that connection with each other and with our community and that we will continue to grow more deeply and more broadly. And may your gospel, your good news go out through us here. In a context, Lord, that seems to be even growing more hostile as the days and weeks and months and years progress, Lord, there's always been resistance to, to the gospel. You, you reminded us of that, that we would be persecuted. And Lord, may we not grow so, um, so comfortable in our faith, but recognize the times in which we live and recognize the call you have on us as your church to be salt and light, to be hope, to be grace and truth, to win over others with love, even when it seems that we're miles apart, philosophically, socially, politically, all of that. Lord, may we rise above some of the challenge and even some of the darkness that's present and be confident in your presence with us and in the love and light that we bring. Give us that clarity. Give us that wisdom. Give us that courage. We pray for families among us here who are grieving, who have recently experienced loss, who are dealing with illness and diagnoses that they're just now kind of living with and trying to figure out. And we pray for recovery where there's uh, places of life that are stuck and intransigent. We pray for marriage, marriages that, that you will bring healing and hope in those relationships that are stressed and struggling at the moment. We pray, Lord, that your church will just continue to, um, to bring the message that 
we don't have to have it all together. And the world doesn't need to look and find a people that have their lives completely rubbed out and cleaned up, but that we are depending on you for hope and for next steps and for what life can be. So invite us further into what that looks like, deeper and broader. Lord, we are grateful to be your children and to be celebrating this morning in our redemption, in our salvation in you, and we just continue to pray in your name that you will make us more alive in you and that the world will see light and life when they see us. We're humbled by that, Lord. Thank you for calling us in that. And again, in your name, we pray this. Amen. Thanks, Andrew. And good morning again. Good morning, good morning. It is, uh, it is good to be back, and uh, I really mean that. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, our family had uh, an amazing time out west for the last couple weeks. Um, part of that trip west was California where Yvonne grew up, but for Yvonne's parents' 50th anniversary, we were uh, just blessed with a gift of uh, a trip to Hawaii. So we've been in Hawaii for a week uh, prior, and uh, I... I swam with a sea turtle, okay? I'm just going to say it. I swam with a sea turtle. It swam like a foot from my face. Anyway, and ironically, or maybe something else, we are jumping into a, a book about the other side of the spectrum uh, this morning. We, uh, we're continuing our series in the wisdom Wisdom Literature, it's our series, we're calling it Everyday Wisdom. Uh, grateful for Pastor Bill, uh, who filled in um, Two weeks ago, I guess I didn't miss a Sunday last week. We had a power outage. I talked to Norlin. He said that's like the second time in 20 years we've ever closed church because of a power outage because we're on a main line. But uh, um, So it kind, of, it kind of upset our order a little bit, which is a little bit unfortunate. Uh, two weeks ago, if you remember, Bill was here. He talked about God's order of the cosmos. He kind of showed you some of those pictures from that Webb telescope, some amazing images of, of the universe that we're able to see. Um, but in that order, he talked about posture. We have a posture of humility. We are creatures. We are those who are created. And so we have this posture of humility. Uh, but in that, we recognize that God has created this order in the universe. Um, what's unfortunate is for the, now it's going to actually, unfortunate because of the order. Last week was supposed to be Ecclesiastes. This week was going to be Job. And there's something to that order. Uh, but because we missed last week, we're going to do Job today, because I prepared this message two weeks ago, and we're going to do Ecclesiastes next week, because there's this order in the universe, and we learned this order from Proverbs that there is, there's an order to justice, and yet part of the wisdom literature is like the book of Ecclesiastes and Job, which say, hold on a minute, but, yeah, like, yeah, but, and we're going to address and look at both of those. Today, we're looking at Job, which, again, is part of the wisdom literature of God's scriptures, and uh, through the experience of Job, we're going to wrestle with the reality of sin and brokenness in this world. The primary question in the book of Job that the book of Job is working to tell us is, is what does it mean about God? What, is, what does suffering say about God? Is, is God still just, considering what happens to Job, what happens to us? Is God still good? 
Does he order the world according to justice? Those are some of the questions we're going to answer. And to answer those questions, we're going to take a higher look. We're going to look at the book of Job from its entirety. So kind of this 30,000 foot view. Again, huge thanks to Bible Project. I continue to Hopefully, you've checked out their website, but Bible Project has some incredible resources. They've done a magnificent job, brilliant job, blocking out the book of Job, and we're going to really lean into this blocking of the book of Job. It goes something like this, the first two chapters in the book of Job. I should do it on this way, because you're looking at it on this side. But chapters one and two is kind of the narrative of the book of Job, and so it kind of sets the stage for what's going to happen moving forward. Chapters three through seven then becomes three through through 37, excuse me, becomes this back and forth between Job and his friends, uh, right? And they're trying to wrestle with what is happening to Job, and they're trying to discern answers of what's happening. In that section, Job demands an answer to God, from God, and God gives him an answer in chapters 38 through 41. And then finally, chapter 42, Job retracts or repents, God rebukes Job's friends and Job's fortunes are restored. That's kind of the large movement of the book of Job and we're gonna touch each of those. Are you ready? Buckle up, right? We're, we're going for it. Uh, but to do that, to enter in, we're gonna read parts of that narrative in chapters one and two. We're gonna look at chapter one, verses one through 12 and then jumping ahead to verses 18 through 22. If you're willing and able, I invite you to stand as we honor God as he speaks to us this morning through his word. Job chapter one. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And we read on that Job loses everything. He loses his animals and his servants, all of his earthly possessions, and then we pick up, a servant comes again for the third time in verse 18, and we pick up here. While this servant was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. 
and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up, tore his robes, and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom of your word. And God, we pray that, that through the, the testimony and through this book of wisdom in Job, Lord, you would reveal. You would reveal to us your wisdom. Lord, create in us a, a spirit of understanding, but also a spirit of, of humility, uh, as we learned a couple weeks ago. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray in your mighty name. Amen. And amen. I've mentioned this before, but it's been 15 years since I started seminary at Western Theological Seminary right here in Holland, Michigan. And uh, one of the things, looking back on those wonderful years, we had a beautiful, wonderful experience in seminary, made lifelong friends. It was an incredible three years, uh, the first three years of Yvonne and my married life. Uh, but there's things in s that seminary cannot prepare you for, though they try valiantly to do so. Things, things that, you know, you just, you just can't recreate in a classroom, even though we try. I remember our worship class, you know, we're, we're, for worship, we're, we're baptizing dolls, right? I'm serious, we, we like, you know, just so you know how to hold a baby, like they're, they're trying to teach you all the practical things. I remember practicing pouring the, the, the cup, you know, the juice in the cup and, and all that just so I learned how to talk. And like we practiced all of those things, but there's certain things that seminary can't prepare you for. There's some of the kind of, kind of, maybe not all the time fun, but some of the more lighthearted things. Like, like for example, uh, when you're a youth pastor and, and you're, you're in the mountains at camp and you wake up Sunday morning uh, and, and you find out that, that one of your students burnt one of the teepee platforms to the ground uh, in Big Bear Mountains. This didn't, oh yeah, this happened to me, yeah. Like, what do you do? Who pays for that? How do you address that? Okay, seminary didn't prepare me for that. Um, or or, or what, do you, what, do you, what do you say after you, you put your foot in your mouth on a Sunday morning? Uh, that's, that's happened several times. Or how about this one? When, when you go to the communion table and, and it's, the, it's the, the dishes, right? And you open that, that cover and there isn't any bread. Like, do you just pretend? Like, do you just go through the, yeah, what do you do, Right? Uh, or, or how about this one? Um, you're baptizing a young child who doesn't quite understand what's going on and the moment they step in front of this large group of people, they have an honest-to-goodness panic attack. How do you respond? What do you do? What I found in those experiences is, is, is that you just, you just move forward as best you can, leaning into grace, leaning into the fact that we're all broke and we're trying to do the best we can, and in hindsight, you have a little bit of sense of humor, right, in those moments. Seminary doesn't prepare us for everything. But then there's other moments. There's other moments that we face that there's no possible way seminary could prepare us for. Those more sobering, those more, those more gut-wrenching kinds of moments 
those moments where, where you step into someone's home or you're stepping into a hospital room or you're stepping into the NICU and a family has just been told that, that all medical intervention has been exhausted and there's nothing more they can do for the loved one. And you're stepping into this space and you're thinking to yourself, I, I, I'm supposed to be an agent of God in this moment? Like, I'm supposed to represent God's goodness or grace? I'm, I'm supposed to offer some word of hope? But the reality is inside, I'm thinking to myself, I have no idea what I can possibly offer in this moment. And what you know is that that actually feeling is not unique to pastors. That's actually a common experience for any of us who've ever loved significantly. Because we all face moments where what do I do and how do I respond when the impossible happens? How do we respond in the face of suffering when, when nothing makes sense when it's happening to us or maybe when it's happening to someone that we love dearly? When, when, when the order that we've been reading about in Proverbs, right, that order, that, that God's justice, that, that when, you, when, you're, when you're wise and when you fear the Lord, as we talked about a few weeks ago, right, good things are supposed to happen. God's blessing comes. What happens when that order doesn't add up those moments, those seasons, right? What, what, what do we do? How do we respond? And what do these moments, what do these seasons say about the God that we just sang and worshiped a few moments ago? What does it say about God? You see, friends, these are the honest and hard questions that God's scripture invites us to wrestle with. We don't need to ignore them. Scripture invites us to wrestle with them and Job, this beautiful book, helps us wrestle with those questions. Why? Because these are Job's own experiences. This morning we're gonna engage this dialogue and to engage the dialogue we're gonna work through the book of Job, okay? And so again, we're gonna lean into Bible projects blocking but let's begin by setting the scene. We're introduced to Job in verse one. Job is a man from a distant place, the land of Uz, where all the characters, because of their names, they're not Israelites. The story actually lacks a real clear historical setting. And, and to be honest, all of that is intentional because we're not to get hung up on those details. Instead, it's inviting us to wrestle with these honest questions raised by Job's own suffering. In fact, as we read that story, that exchange, maybe you're like, what is going on in chapter one where Satan's coming into the throne room of God and God's listening to what he's saying? Like, what is going on there? We're just gonna set those questions to the side because we don't have time to address them. And, and instead, we're gonna look at the questions raised about suffering and God's justice. And so let's enter in by first, what can we learn about Job? And the thing we learn about Job right from the beginning is that Job is a righteous man. Job is a righteous man. Verses 1, 8, 22. Unequivocally, it's clear. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil, right? Have you considered my servant Job? This is the word of God. He has no one, there is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. That same refrain. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. In verse 22, Job is the model righteous human being. God even says so, verse eight. Following the wisdom of Proverbs to the T, right? 
He fears God. He shuns evil. That's what Proverbs tells us to do. Fear God, shun evil. We're told he even sacrifices just in case his kids have sinned privately. How many of us do that? Like, just in case my kid misbehaves at school today. Like, forget. Like, he is this, this model righteous human being. And we're told, right? And of course, no one's perfect, but except for God, but it seems Job's pretty close. But, but we're, we're told that Job, Job has prospered greatly then, right? He has all of these things, this great wealth, right? He has, God has blessed him. So in other words, the formula that we read in Proverbs seems to be working. He's a man who fears the Lord, shuns evil, he's wise, and he's, God's blessed him richly. The formula seems to be working. It's all at work in, in Job's life until it isn't anymore. But then we read, Satan enters the heavenly courts, says Job is only righteous because of all the blessings he's received, and then mysteriously and maybe even disturbingly, God allows Satan to take it all away, but limits what he can do. Do not touch him. This is chapter one. But this exchange occurs again a second time in chapter two where Satan is also allowed then to cover Job's body with painful sores, at which point Job's wife leaves. By the end of chapter two, Job has lost everything he has. All of his animals, which is where his wealth is. So he's lost all of his wealth, his animals, his servants, his children, and his wife even leaves him. And to top it off, he's covered in these painful sores. And even in Job's terrible loss and suffering, he refuses to curse God that we read in chapter, in verse 21 and 22. He remains upright and blameless, one who fears God and shuns evil. And here's the thing. This is all highly problematic from the theological standpoint according to that formula. The Proverbs formula appears to be broken in the life of Job. Proverbs teaches that, that fear of the Lord and wisdom bring about God's rich blessing. It is, it is the fool who does not fear the Lord, who, who rightfully receives both curse and consequence. That's the formula that Proverbs puts forward. The most righteous man on earth should not experience the greatest suffering on earth, and yet that's exactly what's happening to Job here in this book. It's like there's a glitch in the matrix of God's order, right? It just should not happen. See, the ancient times, and, and, and sometimes the modern assumption, in fact, is this, that if God is just, if God is good, if God is powerful, if God has ordered this world according to justice, then prosperity and blessing should be poured out on the righteous and disaster and punishment should be poured out on, on the wicked. God's justice says that if you fear God, if you're wise, that should lead to blessing. And, and God's justice says that if you don't fear the Lord and if you live foolishly, well, that should lead to disaster. In fact, if you think about it, most, most people today, even non-religious, right? Non-religious, secular people sense this is how the world should work, right? In fact, uh, our secular world has kind of adopted a, a Hindu phrase, right? Karma? So even our secular world will use this, this, this term karma, like bad karma, good, like good things should happen to good people, bad things should, we, we, we all sense this is how the world should work and yet our experience tells us that so often it doesn't work that way. 
In fact, this dissonance between that become, has become the biggest stumbling block for belief in God. Stu- you know, survey after survey shows that, that one of the, the biggest reasons people cannot or do not believe in God or have walked away from their faith is because they can't reconcile how a good God, powerful God, could allow such suffering in our world. And for the next 30 chapters in the book of Job, that's what's being wrestled with. This question, this, this formula is being wrestled with. How do we reconcile this dissonance, right, in our hearts about, about the suffering and God's goodness and justice? From chapters 33 through 37, Job and his friends uh, off, come to various different conclusions based on this formula. And this is where we're gonna have to summarize a bit, but again, these images are from Bible Project. They do a great job. Encourage you to watch the videos that I sent in email, uh, some podcasts. The, you know, these are all just incredible resources that have inspired a lot of what you're going to hear here today. But first we have uh, Job. Job. Job is the one suffering. And Job is honestly trying to reconcile his experience with what he understands as God's justice. And, and it leads Job to begin to question God's justice and order. Because here's the thing, Job understands the assumed formula. Good things should happen to good people, bad things to bad people. And he's experienced horrible suffering, great loss, catastrophic. But Job also knows that he's innocent. He knows he's innocent. He knows in his own heart, he knows by the testimony of his own life, and, and he's right. God even says so. He's innocent, he's done nothing wrong. He is a righteous man. And so for Job, this leads, leads him to the only possible conclusion, well, if I'm innocent, then maybe God isn't just. Maybe God has not ordered the world according to justice. And in these 30-plus these chapters, we read, and it's not linear, like you gotta just read, there's these streams throughout those chap, these chapters. But in those chapters, we, we, we read and we get to listen in on some raw an honest, a man's honest and raw struggle with suffering. It's this emotional roller coaster. I mean, it is, it is a human book. And in that way, I think it's so helpful and beautiful. Here's, here's a couple samples of, of Job's own wrestling and emotional roller coaster. He says, God, God has denied me justice and made my life bitter. God destroys the blameless and the wicked. He mocks the despair of the innocent. God assails me. Can you hear the heartbreak and the anguish that Job is wrestling with because of what he has experienced? I think there's some, there's some modern parallels for us. The, the modern parallel would be this is the common accusation of, of the cynic or the unbeliever or, or it's just Quite honest, the honest struggle of the suffering faithful follower of Jesus. We survey the suffering in this world and, and, and we question how could a, a good and powerful God allow such suffering? Is it that God is not good and some have walked away from the faith? Is it that God is not powerful or is it that there just isn't a God? Or does God not order the world in this? In this? Does God not, not have power to control it? Notice that all of those conclusions are based on the same simple formula. The assumption that life in this world operates a certain way. 
that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. And if that's your formula, that's the conclusion. That's one of the conclusions. But it's not the only conclusion. Second, we have, we have Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And his three friends take turns uh, debating and arguing with, with Job. Uh, not the best course of action, by the way. But the friends, for the friends, were, by the, they were doing just fine until they opened their mouths. Uh, they, they see the suffering and the loss and they know God is just and orders the world according to justice. They, they understand the formula, right? They know the formula, and this leads them to their only possible co- conclusion because they're not going to question God's goodness or God's justice. Clearly then, Job must have sinned. That's their conclusion. Here's a sample from Job 22. They're saying this to Job. All false accusations, by the way. Is not your wickedness great? That's, that's, that's the conclusion they come to. Are not your sins endless? You stripped people of their clothing. You gave no water to the weary and you withheld food from the hungry. You sent widows away empty-handed and broke the strength of the fatherless. Those are some bold, serious accusations and all of them are untrue. But that's how they're reconciling the dissonance because the formula is not making sense for them. Again, sometimes we, we see this in our, in, our, in our modern context as well. And sometimes it's, it's, it's a sad thing because we, we hold to these formulas and you know, we see it sometimes with our friends or people we love who are, who are suffering and, and they're wondering, you know, did I do something wrong? Right, because there's this dissonance. Like, and we see people not correctly, but looking back at their past and trying to figure out, is there some sin or is there something that they did that led them to this, this path of suffering because they're trying to make sense of what's happening. What did I do to deserve this? And we want to say that's not the right question. Like, or on the other side, we, we see this horrifically uh, from the religious who, who see suffering across the world far away from their own context and they, and they conclude, well, well, that disaster happened because of X, Y, Z sin. God is judging them because of that sin. Heaven help us, heaven forgive us if we fall into that trap, right? Again, all of it is based on this same simple formula, the assumption that life and the world operates in a certain way, that God blesses those who are righteous, right? Third, there's another voice in the book of Job. Another voice steps in. It is uh, in chapters 32 through 37, Alihu. Alihu, suffering is, is, is a warning or for character building, Right? Elihu, again, is operating with the same premise, the same simple formula as the friends. He knows God is just and orders the world justly. He knows the formula. And so he postulates, well, maybe Job's innocent, but maybe this suffering is kind of being used by God as a warning to help Job avoid future sin. Well, now that's a creative application of the formula, right? And so, again, Elihu is, is working hard to rec- reconcile a formulaic assumption Here's a sample from Job 32. God might come to someone in a dream he talks about in a vision of the night. He may speak in their ears, Elihu says, with, terif- with a terrifying warning. 
right? To turn them from wrongdoing, to keep them from pride, to preserve them from the pit. God's doing this to warn you, to prevent you from doing something horrible or to prevent you from some kind of sin. Again, I think there's some parallels in our modern context. In our context, you know, there's this parallel. I think it's a good desire, but I think for a lot of us, when we experience suffering, we want to make sense of our suffering. Like we want to see that there's some meaning behind our suffering. That we, want, we hope and we pray that God is, is going to bring about some kind of good through our suffering. Again, this is a sincere, good, maybe not even wrong idea. It comes from a good place. And, and, and honestly, sometimes we do see some good come from suffering. And some people will testify like, yeah, we went through this hard thing, but we saw what God did in our relationships. And, and praise God, that's a beautiful thing. But also sometimes we don't see good out of the suffering. Or sometimes there is no amount of good that could justify the suffering and loss that we've experienced. And that doesn't make us lack faith. That just makes us honest and real. Sometimes our suffering just seems absolutely senseless and without purpose. But again, we're trying to, in, in that even, it's, a good, it's coming from a good place. Again, we're, it's all based on the same assumed formula of how life in this world operates. And we're trying to make sense of how a God can be good in this suffering. And how does it make sense? Well, in the book of Job, in chapter 31, verse 35, Job finally demands God answer his question. He says this, I sign my defense, let the Almighty answer me. He demands that God answer him. And we think, as we're reading this book, okay, now God's gonna give us the answers. Chapters 38 through 41. We hope the answers will come. We, we hope and we assume that God is gonna answer the question of why does he allow suffering and why does he especially allow suffering to good people? And yet that's not the question God answers. <laughs> Instead, God brings Job something different. Job, God brings Job some insight and then an invitation. Let's talk about both. First, God brings Job insight. Chapters 38 through 40. God takes Job on this virtual tour of the universe. So you imagine that, that picture from the telescope that, that Pastor Bill showed a couple weeks ago. Shows Job the, the vastness of the universe, pointing out the vastness and the uniqueness and, and how the world is ordered and operates and it's this beautiful picture. What God is doing is God is reminding Job that his perspective is severely limited. This is what God says to Job. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. <laughs> Where were you, Job? In fact, in chapter 40, Job, God even offers Job to be judge over the earth. He's like, maybe you can do it better, right? You be the one to determine what is just, what is right. You determine how to, how to make things right in the complexity and brokenness of this world. See if you can do any better. Well, what's the point of all that? What's the point of this, this cosmic tour, virtual tour? The point is this. 
God's reminding Job that the world is complex and it's imperfect. The world and the justice of God cannot be reduced to simple formulas. They just don't work. Job, nor anyone else, not even us, with our modern technology and all that, none of us have enough perspective to accuse God of being unjust, not good, or not powerful. In other words, why does God allow suffering? Why do bad things happen to good people? We just do not have the perspective or capacity to grasp that answer. Now, is, is that like a cop-out? Maybe. Is it true? I believe so. All we know is that what God has created good, sin, which does not come from God, has corrupted and polluted this world that he created good. That's what we know. Instead, God ends the book with, with an invitation. The invitation's implied, but there's an invitation. It's an invitation to trust him. God reminds Job that God is God, he is not, and it leads Job to this confession in chapter 42, verse two. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted, Job says. What Job is saying is that God is able to order the world with justice and justice even in the broken, sinful, confusing world that we live in, God is able and can and does bring order. It leads Job to a, to a point of repentance and trusting in God. Actually, Job living into these words from Proverbs 3, the most well-known words of the book of Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, that posture of humility. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. You see, friends, our world is broken. It's corrupted by sin. The order of Proverbs has been distorted. Things are not how they are supposed to be. And we have, we have a choice. We can reject God. I don't understand it, so there must not be a God. And, and maybe there's some solace in, in things making more sense to us intellectually that everything's just here randomly and there's no divine order <laughs> raises a lot of other questions, certainly. Or, or we can choose in our wrestling, in our questions, in our loss, in our confusion to trust God. And trusting God doesn't mean we, we, we don't wrestle, we don't lament. No, trusting God in the midst of our questions, our struggle, our pain, our loss. Trust that somehow, some way, God is in control. Somehow, some way, God is working in the midst of this to bring about ultimate good. And for us as Christ followers, we have a perspective that Job didn't have. Because we believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into this world, died on a cross, rose again, and one day he will come again. And on that day, he will make everything right and new and just. So quickly, what, is it, what does that mean for us? When the unexpected, the unimaginable happens to us or to those we love, what, what can we glean from this incredible book of Job? Three things, implications for today. First, an important word uh, for us in the Reformed tradition because I don't know about you, I love theology. Anyone else? 
I'm like setting you up. Don't raise your hand. I love theology. Love theology. But we have to understand that theology has its limits. Theology has its limits. Theology is important. It's good to think about God. It's good to seek and understand. Uh, and, and knowledge is good, but it has its limits. Notice Job's friends continued down this rabbit trail of theology for far too long. And at the end of the book, God rebukes them for it. Because Job's friends, in their attempt to reconcile their theology to Job's experiences and suffering, they failed massively in their responsibility to love their friend, Job. Some answers are beyond us, and that's okay. We, we don't need to defend God. Like, I'm sure God's just fine, right? He doesn't need us to defend him, right? Some things we just don't understand. Instead, Job's friends actually modeled the best practices of pastor care, pastoral care, which leads us to the second insight. In chapter two, we were given this, this model of pastoral care from Job's friends. I said they were doing okay before they opened their mouth. This is what I mean. And when I say pastoral care, I don't just mean by pastors. I mean any kind of care and compassion that people walking beside loved ones. Listen to what Job's friends responded immediately at the, at the beginning. When Job's three friends heard about all the troubles they had come upon him, they set out from their homes. They met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their heads. They sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights and no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Friends, in those moments when, when we find ourselves stepping into a space where we feel absolutely ill-equipped, completely in over our heads, wondering what we can possibly offer in this moment, just show up. Just have the courage to step into that space, to step into that pain, to step into that suffering, just Show up because your presence is more valuable than any words you could utter. Your tears and your embrace say more than any theology, postulation, or whatever you could utter, which would not be good. And then finally, when we find ourselves in that space of suffering, when we find ourselves in that space of unexplained and unthinkable loss, Job models something for us. I think sometimes we, we read the, the testimony of, of Job and we stop after chapter one where he, where, he, where he falls on the ground, he sings this song, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, may the Lord's name be praised, but we can't forget the next 30 plus chapters when we find ourselves in the unthinkable, the answer isn't to try to stuff it down or try to put on this facade of praise. And no, Job models something for us. Job wrestles with God. Job questions God. Job throws honest and raw accusations toward God. 
Job says some pretty bold things in his prayers to God. We call those prayers lament. They're biblical. They're worship. In fact, at the end of the book of Job, God honors those prayers of Job. Lament is a journey, and we're invited to go on that journey of lament. Lament is prayer. Lament is worship, maybe the purest form of worship because we're bringing those struggles and that pain at the foot of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this way, God journeyed with Job in his suffering and God wants to journey with us in our suffering. And, and God gives us this, his word is a prayer book for those moments when, when we can't find the words or maybe what we're feeling, it, it feels too hard and can I say those words? Open the Psalms. More than half of the Psalms are laments and echo, use the words that God has given us to use to pray our hearts out to God. It is a gift. Psalms, Job, Lamentations. God invites us to be honest and real before him. But one more thing, and I promise this is the last thing. In all of it, we have, we have the benefit of, of knowing Jesus. We are followers of Jesus Christ, amen? We have a different perspective. And so here's the encouragement. In it all, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus who, who knows your suffering. Why? Because Jesus Christ walked the road of suffering. Look to Jesus who is our hope because Jesus, in Jesus Christ, we understand that the journey actually doesn't end at the cross. The journey doesn't end in our suffering, but the journey ends at an empty tomb and a risen Lord Jesus, the resurrection. Death, pain, and suffering will be defeated because one day Jesus Christ will come again and make all things new. Friends, this is our hope. And so in the midst of our suffering, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And it is in him that we have hope for today and for tomorrow. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our lament, we have hope. Let's pray and thank God for that gift. Will you join me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your wisdom. Lord, as we've been learning about the wisdom and, and how you, you give us this wisdom on how to live, and, and Lord, it's good. And, and so often, Lord, it, it brings about good blessings. And, and, but Lord, thank you that, Lord, in your wisdom literature, you have these other books that remind us that those aren't guarantees. And sometimes life happens because we live in a broken world, but, but Lord Jesus, you say, take heart. Because Jesus, you said, I, I've overcome the world. Lord, for some of us, maybe this morning we're, we're in the midst of, of a season that's difficult. Maybe we know someone who's in the midst of a season that's difficult. Lord, maybe we're reminded of one of those seasons. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would minister to us right now. 
We pray that your grace would fill our hearts, that we'd experience reminders, tangible reminders of your presence now throughout this day. By your power, Lord, may you help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us. the streets to look upon the one who bled to save me and walk with him for all eternity there will be a day when all will bow before him there will be a day when death will be no more standing face to face with he who died and rose again holy holy is the lord and every prayer we prayed in desperation the songs of faith we sang through doubt and fear and in the end we'll see that it was worth it when he returns to wipe away our tears there will be a day when all will bow before him there will be a day when death will be no more standing face to face with he who died and rose again holy holy is the lord and on that day we join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith and with one voice a thousand generations sing worthy is the lamb who was slain and on that day and on that day we join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith and with one voice a thousand generations sing worthy is the lamb who was slain shout the hymn of heaven we 
With angels and the saints, we raise a mighty roar. Glory to our God, who gave us life beyond the grave. Holy, holy is the Lord. Let it be today, we shout the hymn of heaven. With angels and the saints, we raise a mighty roar. Glory to our God, who gave us life beyond the grave. of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, the image from John 14 came to my mind um, when the, the disciples are, are terrified because they know what's, that Jesus is, is, is gonna die. And he offers them this promise. He says, I'm not gonna leave you alone. I'm not gonna leave you orphaned. I'm not gonna leave you abandoned. I will come to you. That's a promise that Jesus Christ gives and he sends his Holy Spirit to be his presence in our lives today. So claim that promise. Claim that promise that Jesus Christ will come to you in a way that only God can come. I don't know what, it can look like a lot of different things. But he will be with you in the midst of the suffering and he promises that one day Jesus Christ will come again. This is where our hope is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen to that? As you go from here, remember we got some donuts, some fellowship, touch base with Luke, but... Uh, Receive God's blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father Almighty, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen and amen.